it's, it's, that is as close to Matthew McConaughey as I can get. That's all I got. Go ahead and get your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be there in just a moment. Matthew chapter 5. Again, let me say thank you. I don't, I'm not in the center of the stage, and that's going to drive me nuts. Am I in the middle right now? I'm, all right, I got Greg right in front of me. I don't know if he can get any better than that. Again, let me say thank you for being at LifeHouse today. You look good. Come on, give yourselves a hand. You made it. You made it. You could have done a lot of things with your day-to-day, -day, but I believe you made a great decision by coming and spending time with God's people as we worship together. Also want to welcome LifeHouse in your house. Can we look up there at Steve and say thank you for joining us today? Um, if this is your first time or first time in a long time and you've forgotten who I am, which is quite easy to do, I believe. Uh, my name is Drew, and I get the joy and the honor of being the pastor here at LifeHouse. I don't know why, but they still let me do it, and I'm just going to run with it until, until somebody tells me i got to stop. Uh, that's right. I want to thank Lindsay. Come on, everybody give it for Lindsay right over here. Uh, last week, her and her team did an incredible job with our uh, 4th of July cookout, and appreciate you, Lindsay. Appreciate everybody who helped. I know Arlo cooked that day, and so if you got salmonella, it's Arlo's fault. Um, but uh, so thankful for, um, for our teams who serve and give of themselves each and every week. And if you are not currently on a serve team, um, it must be your first Sunday. And so next week, I expect, you, I expect you to be getting involved. That's what's up. You know what I'm saying? It's time to get involved. The kingdom of God uh, needs men and women who are ready and willing to serve and who are able to serve. And if you're here, if you're breathing, if you got a pulse, I don't care what your excuse is, you are able to serve. Come on. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to continue this series in the Beatitudes and um, I love preaching a series like this because come Monday or Tuesday morning, I don't have to ask myself, hmm, self, what should I preach this Sunday? And you might say, well, shouldn't you be asking God? Well, I do that too, smart aleck. Just calm down. Um, that's what I love about preaching a series. What I don't love about preaching a series is sometimes... When you've decided and you felt like the Lord said, this is where you should go, you have to preach on things that you don't always like that much. And so if you have, if you were here last week and you know that we, uh, we, we said, uh, you know, blessed are those who are poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. And so you would understand that just uh, chronologically today, we would be on Matthew chapter five, verse four, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And can I just tell you that preparing for this message um, wasn't my favorite. Uh, it wasn't my favorite. But I want to tell you right now, it's worth it, and it's good. Uh, and, and in case you weren't here last week, talking about the Beatitudes, um, they are the introduction to the greatest sermon ever preached. How many of you know that T.D. Jakes is the magnificent of a preacher as he is? He did not preach the greatest sermon ever preached. Neither did Stephen Furtick, neither, neither did Drew Moorhead ever preach the greatest sermon ever preached. Maybe I could just read from Matthew 5 through 7 and preach the entire Sermon on the Mount, and then I could say, I have preached the greatest sermon ever preached. 
uh, probably won't do that. But Jesus, in these few chapters, preached what is considered the greatest message, the greatest sermon. In the beginning, uh, we call it the Beatitudes. It's really this introductory statement of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus gives sort of an illustration of the upside-down nature that is the kingdom of God. And the idea of the Beatitudes is not that they are commandments to be kept. You know, Jesus isn't say, he's not saying be poor so that you can receive the kingdom of God. He's not saying be sad so that you can receive the comfort of God. What he is saying is that these are characteristics of kingdom-oriented people. And that by uh, allowing these truths of God to penetrate our heart, it doesn't mean that we necessarily gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven. It means that we are the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus did not come to earth. He did not go through the trouble of the cross so that we could one day die and one day go to heaven. Jesus came to earth. He gave his life upon the cross so that we could have the kingdom of heaven now. And by allowing these truths to penetrate our heart, they help us to reflect what it is to truly be a man or woman of God. And, and I, I, this will sound cliche when I say it, but I don't think anybody will disagree with me. We truly do need a move of God in our country. We need a move of God in our world, right? And, and we, we think that those things happen by something or someone somewhere specific doing something great. And we, and we think about, you know, revivals of the past, the Azusa Street Revival or the Brownsville Revival or all these kinds of things. But, but I would submit to you that, that what we need is not a localized move of God like we look at at times past. What we need is a sweeping move of God through the men and women of God in, in our churches. And so, so if we want to see a move of God in our country, then it first has to happen in our churches, right? And it can't just be this church. Come on, we need to be praying for other churches, right? We need to be praying for other churches in our community, state, country, everything. But it can't happen in our churches until it happens in our homes. And you can't expect God to do something here that you are not seeking God to do there. If the only time you pray or the only time you praise or the only time that you receive from his word is, is in this setting, then my friend, you are missing out on the fullness that God has for you. And while you might be able to survive, you will never thrive in your walk with Jesus living like that. Jesus, in these statements, he starts with every word. He says blessed or every statement he says blessed. And if you... And you go, when you start looking, you find out that this word uh, and its most sensible Hebrew slash Greek meaning is the word happy. But it's funny because Jesus is not talking about circumstantial happiness. He's talking about deep, abiding, internal joy. And this is what he says in Matthew 5, 4. He, said, he says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Will you pray with me? Would you also pray for me this morning that I would do justice to what God has given me 
Father, thank you for the privilege that it is to preach your word. God, it is, um, it is not a responsibility or an obligation. It is an honor and a joy to be allowed to preach the word of God. And I want to do so faithfully and accurately. I want to be led by the Spirit in everything that I say. God, I pray that even apart from what I would speak in my human words, that through your presence, you would speak directly to hearts. God, I pray you would work in my heart today just as much as you would anybody else's because, God, I need you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So I want to channel my inner Joel Osteen this morning. Um, I got three laughs there. Is it going to be that kind of day? Is that how you're going to roll the day with me? Um, I'm going to smile real big, right? Some of y'all are like, I don't like Joel Osteen. And to you, I just, I don't care what you, who you like. Um, next time you, you know, can lead thousands of people to Jesus at the same time, get back to me. Um, but I want to start with something funny this morning. Is that Houston accent enough for you right there? Some of y'all are like, who's Joel Osteen? Uh, he always starts his messages with a joke, uh, and because of the serious nature of this message, I don't expect you to laugh a lot. Uh, I mean, we'll see. It, it'd be awkward if you do uh, throughout the sermon. So I'm going to start with a joke, and I'll probably mess it up because that's what I do when I plan to be funny. Uh, I'm only funny ever by accident and usually at my own expense. But I want to start with something funny this morning. There was a preacher who got a horse. And in an effort to be a little super spiritual, this preacher decided that he was going to use uh, spiritual sayings to, uh, to, for the horse's command. So, for instance, whenever he wanted the horse to go, he would say, praise the Lord. Everybody say, praise the Lord. Praise and the horse would go. And then, you know, when he wanted the horse to stop, he would say, hallelujah. Everybody say, hallelujah. hallelujah. And then the horse would stop. Well, one day he was out riding his horse and, you know, he got the horse to go on pretty fast. And the next thing he knew, he saw a cliff up in the distance because, you know, that's what happens in Westerns. There's always a cliff at the end of the railroad. And, and, and so he's riding the horse and he sees the cliff off in the distance and he starts saying all these things. He starts quoting different things from the Bible and the horse will not stop. The horse, in fact, just keeps going faster and faster and faster. And right before the edge of the cliff, he remembers, hallelujah. Everybody say hallelujah. hallelujah. And the horse comes to a screeching halt. Oh, he breathes a huge sigh of relief and then he goes, praise the Lord. That was funny. That was funny. Come on. You know that was funny. If you're not laughing, it's because you're being stuck up. And you need to get over yourself, and you need to laugh at that joke. All right. Blessed are you. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. In other words, happy are you when you were sad. And if there's an upside-down, backward-sounding statement in all of Scripture, it's that right there. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And what Jesus is saying, in essence, is that you can be happy even in sadness because of a supernatural comfort that you have received. How many of you know that another name for the Holy Spirit given in Scripture is comforter? 
Jesus says, it's good for you that I would leave you because when I go to the Father, I will send you another, the Comforter, who will not just be with you, but he will live inside of you. And that's another name for the Comforter. Uh, we, we talk about the glory of God, especially when we're preaching from the Old Testament. And one of the words that we use for the glory of God is Shekinah. Anybody know anybody named Shekinah? Yeah, yeah I've heard of one. She's not in here, though, is she? She's upstairs, right? Cool, 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 cool. And, and so we got Shekinah. But if you look up what that means, it means the weightiness of God. And so when I read this passage of Scripture, when I read Matthew 5, 4, I think about how the Holy Spirit is a comforter and how the presence of God is a weight. And how many of you know that God, when you were sad, when you were mourning, he wraps himself around you like a wetted blanket. Come on, somebody. He wraps his loving arms around you and it, and you know, just like a blanket, just like a comforter, just like a weighted blanket would, would surround you. God does so in supernatural fashion when you were mourning, when you were sad. He's saying in essence that you can possess joy. You know, that's why the Bible calls, the, or why Paul says that God gives us joy unspeakable. In other words, it's a joy that I can't really explain because it exceeds my ability to understand how I can have joy in the middle of this season or in the middle of this situation. That you can have joy even during the hardest of days or the hardest of seasons because you were confident in the provision, the purpose, and most of all, the presence of God. But we struggle with this because we believe some things, even though, even though if I said, do you believe this? You would probably say, no, I, I know that's not true. But the thing is, even though we, we know we don't believe it, sometimes we live and behave and even more so speak like we do believe it. So three things that we believe that aren't true. So three false assumptions, I should say, about hard times. And I'll move, I'll move quick this morning. Uh, but if you're taking notes, these are worth writing down. Number one, we believe that bad things shouldn't happen to good people. Now, you know, you know, you don't believe that, but sometimes you live like you do. You'll say things, man, why is this happening to me? I'm trying to do everything right. And this is happening. Something that I say a lot of times and Kristen gets on to me about it. And she really does. I'm not just actually saying that. It's like when something goes wrong. Now, it's usually something trivial, just to be real with you. It's usually when some electronic device that I have paid money for doesn't function the way it should function. And I will go, why can't you just work? Anybody ever do that? Or is it just the preacher this morning? Yeah, why can't you just do what you're supposed to do? Uh, or, or, you know, if, if something breaks or if, uh, you know, this morning I was, I was walking through the hallway, uh, in my office over there and I banged my elbow really hard into the corner of the door and collapsed to the ground, begging God to just take me on to heaven in that moment. Anybody ever been there next week? There's going to, this whole elbow is just going to be black. Y'all, it's just going to be a big old bruise there, but I'll say something. I'll say this. I'll say, God must be mad at me. God, God must be mad at me. That's why he's letting this happen. And I just want to tell you today that, that is, that's not true. It's false. I've heard people say things like, and I've honestly, I've been guilty of this in certain ways. They'll say things like, you know, I thought it would be easier after I gave it to God. I thought my life would get better after I became a Christian. I've heard this one before. I thought my, financial, my finances would improve once I started tithing. 
And I've heard this one way more than I cared to admit. I prayed for and then fill in the blank. And they still died. And then we ask ourselves, I feel like, you know, I deserve better. Or I feel like they deserve better because they're a good person. And here's a hard truth, but it's still true. You know, the thing about truth is it doesn't matter how you feel about it. The truth is there are no good people. There are redeemed people. There are saved people. But there are no good people. Paul, or I say Paul, I don't know who wrote Hebrews, nobody does. But the writer of Hebrews says this. He says there were others who were tortured. And he's talking about believers in the past. He says they were persecuted and mistreated. And the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains. They lived in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better. Will you say that phrase with me, something better? I need you to hear something. I need you to, to, to understand something that, you know, I look around this room and I know most of you some of you I don't know. Hopefully you fill out a guest card and come back next week. Um, and even those of you who I do know, I might know some of the things that you're going through, but chances are I don't know everything you're going through. You may be looking at me, and you may know me pretty well, and you might think that you know what I'm going through and what I'm dealing with, but truth be known, you don't know everything that I'm going through. You don't know everything that I'm dealing with. But the, but the good news is wherever you are, whatever's going on, if you are following Jesus, the best is always yet to come. No matter what it looks like right now, even if it's good right now, the best is still yet to come. He said God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Here's the truth. God isn't fair. How many of you moms and dads have heard your children at different times say, that's not fair, right? I mean, as soon as my kids were old enough to talk, I started hearing that phrase, that's not fair, that's not fair. And it only increases in frequency as they get older. <laughs> that's not fair. But aren't you glad God's not fair? I mean, come on, think about it. If God was fair, I would get what I deserve. And you know what I deserve? I deserve hell. I deserve eternal separation with God. But because of his mercy and because of his grace, not because of his fairness, I am brought into right relationship with him. And while it's a hard truth, bad things do happen to good people. And good things happen to bad people. I don't know which one I get more upset about, to be honest with you. When I see somebody that I know is a low-down, dirty sinner with a brand-new bass boat, it makes me mad. Now, bad things do unfortunately happen to good people. The second false assumption that we sometimes fall victim to is that we believe pain always means something is wrong. And a lot of times it does mean that something is wrong. A couple of years ago, it was actually two years ago this month, I was playing tennis, and I use that phrase loosely. What I really mean is I was chasing tennis balls across a tennis court trying to not pass out from lack of oxygen. 
I uh, jumped in the air. And again, I use that word loosely as well um, because for me, the word jump means, uh, for most of you, it would be like a hop or, I don't know, a step even. And I jumped in the air to try to hit a tennis ball. And I thought that one of my kids who were running around the tennis court, I thought that one of them had come up behind me and hit me as hard as they could in the back of my leg with a tennis racket. But what had happened, what had happened was my, my calf on my right leg tore vertically from the back of my knee down to the top of my Achilles tendon. Yeah, right. So when y'all are like, let's go running. First of all, you're crazy talking to you, buddy. What you running from, man? You need to get your life right. You stop running for things. Uh, but the second reason why I can't run is because my leg hates me. Um, pain sometimes does mean something is wrong and it needs to be addressed. You know, if you put your hand on something hot, like a hot stove, it will hurt you. And it's, you need to address that situation. Pain is your friend more times than it's not. Let's just be real. It identifies something that is inadequate or incomplete or, or wrong in your life that you need to take care of. For me in that moment, it, it was something bad that I need to, needed to address. But sometimes pain identifies that you're doing things right and it just hurts anyway. You go to the gym or maybe you run for the first time in forever and you're sore the next day. You did everything right and guess what? You still hurt because of it. Pain does not always mean that is something, that something is wrong. James says it like this, and it's such a weird scripture, but it's so good. He says, consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And he doesn't say, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, if you face trials of many kinds. He says, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. I don't want to soapbox this for too long. But a big problem that we have in our churches is that we have people who have been Christians for a long time, chronologically, but they are still not mature in their faith. And they allow themselves to be controlled by the circumstances around them instead of the work of God inside of them. James says, let it finish its work. And you know, I actually said this last week, but I said it from another perspective. God is more concerned about your character than your comfort. And last week I said, that's a true statement, but he is also concerned about your comfort and how many of you are thankful for that. So when your three-year-old daughter walks up to you and says, I want a Minnie Mouse scooter, excuse me, I want a Ninny Mouse tutor. You say, sweet baby, I'm going to send, I'm going to get you, I'm going to send your mommy to go get one, but I'm going to, I will make sure I will make sure that you get it. I'm going to make it happen. Um, and, and God is concerned about your comfort. God is concerned about your happiness. People who say God doesn't care about your happiness, he only cares about your holiness. I'm telling you right now, the two don't have to be mutually exclusive if you will get the true definition of happiness. But, everybody say but. 
the bottom line is God is ultimately more concerned about your character than he is your comfort. And you know, if you are a halfway decent parent, you feel the same way about your kids. That's why even when they want to sleep in on a Monday morning, you still make them get up and go to school, right? Because that's what a good parent does. You know what a bad parent does? It lets their ki- lets the kids do whatever they want to do. That's a bad parent. That's raising a person who is going to be a terror to society, not a person who is going to contribute to society. And God is a good father. And the word says that he disciplines those that he loves. And so he sets up parameters and he allows us to go through things. And here is something else. This is worth writing down. God does not create the bad day but he will use it. God does not create the bad day, but he will use it. Rick Warren, um, several years ago, his son took his own life. Rick Warren is a pastor in California. Um, Look at me dropping pastor's names today. We go from Joel Osteen to Rick Warren. I think I said T.D. Jakes earlier too. What's up, man? And Stephen Furtick. Now, y'all forget about him. He's not. I'm just kidding. He's great. He's fantastic. Um, Rick Warren's son took his life a few years ago, and I'm not sure if he wrote this before or after that happened, but he wrote about the six stages of godly grief. He says there's, there, for, for a, a person to grieve in a godly manner, there are six stages to it. The first one is shock. When you find out the news of the situation and everything around you falls apart. If you are new to LifeHouse, you may not know this, but back in February, our youth pastor passed away, Bo Roberts. And I was with Bo the morning that he died. I was with him in his hospital room, joking. He was talking through a mask, but I could still understand everything he said. He was very much awake. Uh, hopeful, prayerful, believing God that within just a few days, maybe a few weeks, worst case scenario, he would be walking out of that hospital completely better and healed. And we were talking and as I prayed with him, I thought to myself, just to be honest with you, I knew God was going to heal him. I knew it. I had no doubt in my mind. I come home, Kristen asks me, she says, how's Bo doing? And I say, Something to the effect of, he, he's, he's rough right now, but he's going to be all right. He's going to be fine. And it wasn't six hours later, I get the phone call in my bedroom. Bo just died. I dropped to my knees, laid down face floor on my bedroom floor, begin to shake and begin to weep. Many of you think I just have known Bo since he started coming here, but I've known Bo almost a decade well before. He he came with us to Lifehouse. Bo wasn't our drummer. He wasn't our guitar player. He wasn't our youth pastor. Bo was my friend. Bo, someone I had discipled, I had baptized him. I performed both of his weddings. He was my friend. And I was in shock. And I had to struggle in that moment with how do I operate as a person who's grieving and how do I operate as a pastor who has to lead 
and who has to do ministry. So when you're in shock, that's a dangerous place to be because you'll say things and you'll do things and you'll react in ways that can harm you if you isolate yourself. And one of the first things I did is I got on the phone and I called Arlo Yake right over here to my left. And I said, Arlo, I need you to come to my house and I need you to take a ride with me. I didn't tell him why. He just said, okay, I'll be there. So a few minutes later, he showed up, we get in my vehicle and we start the drive to the hospital. And I'm driving and I look over at him and I tell him what had happened. And I'm thankful, Arlo. Thank you for being there for me. Thank you for being there with me. It was shock. And you guys, maybe even in that situation, you, because we went through that together as a church. Maybe you went through that same situation in this situation. But if you have lived past the second grade, you have gone through something like that just about for sure. It may not have been that extreme. It could have even been worse. I can't even comprehend losing a child and how much harder that could be on a parent. But shock is the first stage. The second one is sorrow. And that's just when we hurt. That's just when we hurt. And the third one is struggle. And it's the struggle to understand why. Why did this happen? And we'll say things like, he was so young, or they were such a good person, or they had so much potential. If it's something else, maybe your marriage fell apart, you would say, why? I tried to do everything right. And the thing is, when it comes to grief, we, we tend to get stuck at why. We go from shock to, to, to sorrow to struggle pretty easily. Those are pretty natural. Those are kind of just built into who we are. But when we get to that place of struggle, it, it's so easy for us to get stuck. And when we get stuck, we get bitter. We become resentful. We become angry. And it's normal to experience it. It's just toxic to hold on to it. But, but there's a fourth and a fifth and a sixth step for godly sorrow. And the fourth one is we have to surrender at some point. We have to let go of our why and give it to God. And, and then in exchange, we receive the peace of God that passes understanding. And it doesn't happen overnight. And can I tell you this? It probably doesn't even happen all at once. Even this morning, can I just be really honest with you and tell you that as I read through my notes, I have a picture of Bo hanging on my wall. I looked at it. And even then, even today, I still say, God, why? Why? What's your purpose in this? some point we have to say God I don't have to know why because I'm just going to trust you and as we surrender the fifth step is sanctification now those of you who have been in church for a while you know that sanctification is when God takes something bad 
and he transforms it into something good. And God, as we continue to surrender our pain, will sanctify our pain. And he will make good come from bad. Now, this is what I didn't say. I did not say that God would make the bad thing good. But I did say that God would bring good from the bad. Do you see the difference? God doesn't necessarily make bad good, but he brings good. He can redeem any situation just like he can redeem any person. And then the sixth and final step of godly grief is service. So as we surrender our pain, as we surrender our questions, as we see God sanctify or as we see God bring good out of bad, then we step into the, the stage of service where God will use my pain for good in my life and in your life. Peter says this way in First Peter. He says, so be truly glad. Again, it's like kind of almost like what James said. He said, be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Can I tell you right now, I do look forward to the day when I see my friend again. I look forward to that day. There is joy ahead. He says, even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. You know, because if you only followed Jesus when it was easy, that's not faith. That, that's not faith. He says, your trials show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. When it, when somebody wants to get pure gold, they take the, the impure gold and they put it to fire. And as it melts, the impurities of that gold will, will come to the surface and he can scrape that impurity off. And what he is left with is something that was far more valuable than what he started with. Not because there's more of it. There's actually less of it. Just what remains is better of better quality. He says, so when your faith remains strong, through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor because people are watching how you handle adversity. He it says it'll bring you much praise, glory, and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You guys okay? So these false assumptions are that we think bad things shouldn't happen to good people which isn't true. And we also think that the pain always means something is wrong, which is also not true. And the third one is we often think, now we don't say this, but we act like it. At least I do. We think we know what's best. Why are you laughing at that? I heard you. You knew it was coming and you laughed before I even said it. I'm going to let you preach next week. I'm going to make fun of you out there. How many of y'all want to hear Kristen preach next week? That kind of hurts my feelings too, but whatever. We think we know what's best, don't we? I've told this story before, but this is my sermon, so get over it. I'm going to tell it again. 
uh, when our young, our, our, excuse me, when our oldest daughter Olivia was about two years old, we go to put her in the van one day and she uh, starts asking for these chicken nuggets that were in the cup holder of the sliding door, right? And those chicken nuggets had spent about a week in that van in the middle of July. You see, we used to go into Walmart and we'd go the first, we'd take a left and we'd go right by the deli and we'd get a thing of popcorn chicken. That's what they were, popcorn chicken. And then we would just, you know, feed, you know, because that's how you keep kids. You feed them and you, you, you feed them. That's all you do, right? And so we would just stick those in her mouth every time she said it. Which, there you go. And, and, and then we'd pay for them on our way out. And I guess that at one time, you know, we stuck them in the cup holder as we're putting Olivia in there. And, and so she sees these chicken nuggets, a thing that she is very familiar with right? And she knows them to be good. She knows of them to be tasty. And truth be told, they were probably just fine. They're not real chicken anyway. There's so many chemicals in there. They were fine in the July heat in the middle of that van for a week. You know what I'm saying? And, but, but, you know, we're at least halfway decent parents. We still feed our kids processed food, but just not week old left out in the sun processed food. All you crunchy moms out there, you just need to take a back seat. Go on now. You say I had enough kids yet. That's what it is. Okay, anyway, I need to preach this real sermon. And so she's crying. She wants these chicken nuggets, and we won't let her have them. And she cries and cries and cries and throws a fit. And you know what we eventually did? We just got her some different chicken nuggets because we're weak. But we threw those away. Um... She thought she knew what was best for her. And so the disparity between Olivia at two and me at 32 is multiplied times infinity when it comes to us and our Heavenly Father. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, uh, Isaiah says it this way. God says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I like to think of it like this. We see the frame. We see the moment. But God sees the movie. He already knows how the story ends before it even begins. And truthfully, just being very honest with you, I don't know why things happen the way they do sometimes. In fact, I don't know why things happen the way they do most of the time. But I know his promise. He says in Psalms, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And this one's worth writing down as well. God may not always rescue us from the pain, but he will always walk with us through the pain. He may not always rescue us from the pain, but he will always walk with us through the pain. So how do we move from mourning to comfort? How do we move from sadness to happiness? I don't think there's anybody in the Bible even including Jesus, who has more of a right to speak on dealing with pain than the Apostle Paul. 
You know, if you ever, if you ever talk to somebody and they, and you, you tell them what's going on and they say, Oh, I know how you feel. But in your mind, you go, No, you don't. You've never gone through that. Well, if you were talking to Paul and he said, I know how you feel, he probably did. And even more so, right? Paul was, was tortured multiple times. Um, I would ask you how many of you have been tortured, but I don't know. That could go a lot of different places. And I'm just not, I'm just not game for that right now. He was betrayed. Anybody ever felt betrayed? We can answer that one. Anybody ever been felt betrayed by somebody close to them? He felt abandoned. He felt in prison. He was in prison. He had known what it was like to have been hungry. Now, you know, if you look at me, I haven't felt that in a long time. But Paul did. It was really since college. Paul knew what it was like to go without a meal, not for a day, but for a long extended period of time. Paul had been left alone. He had seen, he had seen and experienced friends of his close to him killed and who had died from sickness or at the hand of somebody else. He had literally knew what it was like to be beaten and left naked out in the middle of public, shipwrecked. Paul, Paul, Paul has a right to speak to our pain. That's what I'm getting at. And I think Paul has some great words for us as we, as we understand how we can move from mourning to comfort. The first thing that we have to do is we have to refocus. Everybody say that word, refocus. We have to refocus on what's happening in me, not to me. We have to refocus on what's happening in me, not to me. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever thought, man, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know how we're going to get through this. That's exactly what Paul is saying. This is exactly what he felt. He said, we felt, uh, we uh, were far beyond our ability to, en to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Can I tell you right there, I believe that Paul literally struggled with taking his own life. He, he, he is admitting it. He, and he's not the only person in the Bible to ever say that. Elijah is another one that said, God, just kill me. I don't even want to live. And Paul is basically saying, I don't even feel like living anymore. That's how bad I hurt. That's how hard this is. So if you've ever felt that way, know that probably the greatest evangelist in all of human history has walked that same road. And you're in good company. He says, indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But, come on, say but with me. He said, but this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Here's the truth. If something is happening to me, it's because God wants to do something in me. And for Paul, Paul, Let's just be honest. If you go and you read his story, Paul was a tough guy. I mean, Paul was a man's man. Paul was a great man. But God used the pain that he was going through so Paul would stop relying on what he could offer and he would start relying on only what God could give him. And we, at some point, we have to understand that when stuff is happening 
to me. God is doing something in me. And can I tell you from experience, this isn't easy. It is so hard to take your focus off of the situation and off of the pain and then to refocus it on Jesus, on God, and say, okay, God, I don't know it. I don't know why. I don't get it. I don't understand it. And just to be completely honest, I don't like it, but I love you. I know you love me, and I trust you, and you were close to me, and God, you're doing something in me, and, and you always bring good out of bad. So God, instead of complaining, instead of being bitter, Instead of being angry, instead of allowing myself to run wild with all these negative emotions, I'm just going to surrender it to you. I'm going to allow you to sanctify it. And then, God, I'm going to watch you bring joy out of mourning somehow, some way. And I love this part. He says, we relied on God who raises the dead. I actually spent a lot of time with those few words right there, who raises the dead. It was kind of out of place to me when I first read it, but I got to diving into it. I got to studying it and I got to praying about it. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, you need to remind yourself that no matter how desperate, no matter how bleak, no matter how dark, no matter how terrible, God can always, everybody say always. He can always bring good out of bad. If he can bring the dead to life, then he can take your situation and do something good with it. So number one, we refocus on what God's doing in me. Number two, we remember that God always delivers. Always. He says this in verse 10. He says, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril. And he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope. Can I just stop right there? This isn't the point. But where is your hope? Because as long as your hope is in these circumstances that surround you, your hope has no foundation to stand on. He says he has delivered us. He will deliver us again. And he will continue to deliver us. A few weeks ago, well, a few... Time flies, y'all. It was Christmas a few months ago. I had had the stomach bug. I don't know who shared that with me at church, but I appreciate it very much. And it was it was Christmas. And my family, they leave to go with my in-laws. I'm so sad I couldn't go to my in-laws for Christmas. It was... <laughs> she started it. I'm just kidding. Y'all, I got to preach this. Calm down. It really was sad. I was alone for Christmas, so just think about that. So I decided I was going to watch the extended version of Lord of the Rings. Like 23 hours. You know what I'm saying? And um, I've read the books. I saw the movies in theater. I saw the movies in theaters back when they came out. I've seen them multiple times. I've had the DVD box set. I've had the Blu-ray box set. And now I have the iTunes collection, right? I've had all of them. And um, I was still stressed out watching it, you guys. You know, I still, you know what I'm saying? You've, the movie I've seen however many times before, and I'm watching it, and I'm still thinking, man, I hope Frodo realizes how amazing Sam is. 
because you know, Sam's the real hero of Lord of the Rings. I don't care what you say. Eventually, you know, I get to the end of the movies and, you know, Sam does this thing, throws Frodo over his shoulders. He says, I can't carry that ring, Mr. Frodo, but I can carry you. Come on. That's better than Rudy. <laughs> they throw the ring into Mount, Mount Doom and Mordor. You know, the eagles come, all the stuff. It was funny, though. I found myself on the edge of my seat you know, stressed out watching this movie, even though I knew how the story ended. Can I tell you how our story ends? John, in Revelation, writes this as God gives him a vision. In Revelation 21, if you go to almost the very end of your Bible, this is what you read. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. Come on, can you celebrate that? We refocus, we remember, and we rely. Number three, we rely on solid relationships around us. Can I tell you, as Difficult as it was, and if I can be very honest with you, even as it still is to mourn the death of my friend, I cannot imagine how much harder it would have been without you being there with me. We held each other up. We comforted each other. We cried with each other. The bottom line is we need each other, not just for the bad days, but even for the good days and every day in between. Paul relied on solid relationships as well. He said he will continue to deliver us as you help us. He's writing to the church at Corinth. He says, as you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted to us in answer to the prayers of many. I'm telling you, friends, we need each other. Church isn't just a place that we go and sing some songs and hear a sermon. The church is the body of Christ. Some of us are knees and some of us are bruised elbows and some of us are eyes and ears. But when we come together, we make a whole. And we, we, can, we can live without a few pieces here and there, but we will not be able to function in the fullness that God has for each and every one of us when we don't function together. We need each other. We need our family. We need our friends. We need our church family. And I can't tell you how often I've been going through a Tuesday or a Thursday and get a random text of encouragement from somebody sitting in these seats. It makes my day. It makes my week. It encourages and challenges me. It inspires me. And just as we need to rely on those relationships, can I also offer to you the challenge 
of being someone who is reliable. To be somebody who isn't the one always needing the encouragement, to be somebody who is offering the encouragement, the help. Come on, will you stand with me this morning? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Today as our team leads us, if you are far from Jesus, can I tell you he's not far from you? If you feel far from him, it's just because you need to turn around and find that he's been following you every step of the way. You thought you were walking away from him. Really, you were just walking with him chasing you. And if you find yourself far from him today, you don't have to leave the same way you came in. But you can leave close to him. The word tells us, come close to God and he will come close to you. Let's just do this. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Nobody looking around, nobody, just me. If you're far from the Lord today, I want to pray for you. I won't call you out. I won't try to embarrass you, but I want to pray for you where you are. If you are far from God today, but you want to be close to him, would you lift your hand high in the air so I can pray for you right now? Come on, is there anybody, anybody? I see you, I see you, ma'am. I see you, ma'am. I see you, buddy. Is there anybody else? Father, I pray for these men and young men or these women and these young, this young man, God, that you would draw yourself close to them, that you would show yourself as friend, as Savior, and as Lord in Jesus' name. Now, you guys can look at me. As our team leads us, you can stand where you are, you can come to this altar, but whatever you do, don't be quiet. Because we're going to praise, we're going to worship, and we're going to celebrate the God who turns graves into gardens, okay? We're going to celebrate the one who turns mourning into dancing. The one who takes shame and turns it into glory. Come on, will you lift your hands high in the air? Father, we love you. We thank you that you are a good father. God, we know that life isn't always easy. That life isn't always good. But God, you are. You are good. You were faithful. You were near. You were kind. And God, we worship you, not because of our circumstances. We worship you because you're worthy. One more time, can we celebrate the Lord at Lighthouse today?